Good morning. Let's all stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing a new name and glory. I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. I was once a sinner, but I came pardoned to receive from my Lord. This was freely given, and I found that he always kept his word. For there's a new name written down in glory. Mine, oh yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story. A sinner has come home, for there's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. With my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven, never more to written saved by grace oh the joy that came to my soul now i am forgiven and i know by the blood i am made whole there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine oh yes it's mine and the white-robed angels sing the story a sinner has come home for there's a new name written down in glory and it's mine oh yes it's mine with my sins forgiven i am bound for heaven never more to roam far away the noise of strife sins ever be set on every hand doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling none of these shall move me from Beulah I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky praise God I'm the fountain that never shall run dry oh yes i'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply for i am dwelling in beulah land and let the stormy breezes blow their cry cannot alarm me Sheltered here, protected by God's hand. Here the sun is always shining. Here there's not can harm me. I am safe forever in Beulah land. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God.
Good to have you in God's house. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to come and sing with one another, exalt your holy name, to be able to worship. And I thank you for each brother and sister in Christ that is here today. Help us to reach out, welcome each other as we come to worship you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
please stand one more time and together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing, Behold Our God. This morning, I'm uh, going to do a song for you entitled Hymn of Heaven.
to breathe the air of heaven where pain is gone and mercy fills the streets to look upon the one who died to save me and walk with him for all eternity there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again holy holy is the lord and every prayer we prayed in desperation the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear and in the end we'll see that it was worth it when he returns to wipe away our tears there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again holy holy is the lord and on that day we'll join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith and with one voice a thousand generations sing worthy is the lamb who was slain forever he shall reign there will be a day when all will bow before him there will be a day when death will be no more standing face to face with he who died and rose again holy holy is the lord so let it be today we shout the hymn of heaven with angels and the saints we raise a mighty roar glory to our god who gave his life beyond the grave holy holy is the lord holy holy is the lord holy holy is the lord amen we appreciate very much brother john's
ministry and music and working with the youth. Um, next week, in fact, not this coming week, the week after, John and I are going to be in Israel. Uh, John, this summer, 15 years working for the church, and so... We wanted to honor him by having him go to Israel and to see, walk where the Lord walked. And I'm going as well. Uh, the church is paying for John to go. A friend of mine who uh, I've known ever since college, he paid for all my expenses to go, which was very nice of him to do. But uh, so next Sunday, John and I actually will come to church with all our stuff packed, ready to go. We're going to do Thanksgiving dinner with you. And then we get on a plane, head to New York City and... Uh, that Monday morning, I, am, I have been asked to meet 23 people, organize them, get them ready, make sure they have all their documents in place for this group to go to Israel. So we're looking forward to that. It's going to be great. Um, I would like you to turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 9. title of my message this morning is Christ's Appearing, Past, Present, and Future. The book of Hebrews is a very unique book in the New Testament. And that is because the targeted audience for the book is Jewish people. It's Jewish people who are seeking to know, is Jesus Christ the Messiah? Is he truly the one spoken of in the Old Testament? Is he the one that all Old Testament prophecy was pointing to? The book of Hebrews is really a book to seekers, Jewish seekers wanting to know. So therefore, when you read through the book of Hebrews, it's constantly referencing the Old Testament. And you really have to understand and know your Old Testament scriptures to fully grasp what they're saying through the book of Hebrews. The particular text I'm taking you to this morning in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22 down through 28 is a text that talks about Jesus Christ. It talks about him paying the price for all sin. And it's going to reference Old Testament, past. It's going to reference where he is today and how it affects the tomorrows in his reappearing. All of that is within these verses so that we might understand him better. Tonight we're going to do communion, and communion is all about Jesus Christ. It's about his death, burial, resurrection, the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body for you and I to have eternal life. All of that ties into all of this. So listen as I read to Hebrews chapter 9, verses 22 down through 28. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And of course, he's talking about Moses' law, the Old Testament law. He's saying almost all things were, uh, it required the shedding of blood to purge sin. He says, without the shedding of blood is no remission or no removal. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. 
nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after that this judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. As we look into this text, we find the author of Hebrews, as God inspires him to pen these words, weaving that tapestry of linking the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the prophecies of the future all together in a tapestry of Jesus Christ. When we look at his past appearing as revealed within this text, we most notably see it in verses 22, verse 23, and then all the way at verse 28. He starts off simply by saying, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. And he's referring to back in the law of the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. So the Old Testament Levitical law was that a sacrifice would have to be given and that sacrificial blood would be put upon an altar for the sins of the nation of Israel. In fact, we go all the way back to Cain and Abel in the Old Testament, the very first children of humankind, Adam and Eve's two boys, and you find that it came time for them to worship and you find that Abel brought the sacrifice of an animal, the shedding of blood for his sin. But Cain brought a vegetarian offering to the Lord. It said it was the vegetables that he had grown in his garden. And it said God did not receive that offering. Because there had to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, for the washing away of sins. So when we come to Hebrews chapter, 20, uh, chapter 9, verses 22, we understand that immediately he's linking to the Levitical law. That law goes all the way back to Adam and Eve, who in the garden sinned against God, and God killed an animal and put clothing upon them, the hide of an animal, because there was shedding of blood. All of that is linked through the Old Testament, pointing to Jesus. When you look here in verse 23 of our chapter, it says, It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. So he says God's pattern, God's design, what he created concerning the sins of mankind, he gave to us all in those pictures and laws of the Old Testament. But he said in order to truly take care of the sins of mankind, he needed something better than that pattern. He himself needed to pay for the sins of you and my soul. He himself needed to do something higher 
than a high priest coming and killing an animal and putting altar uh, blood on an altar. He said he needed something higher, better than that. Even though that was the pattern set, the design of all the Old Testament. In fact, when we come to verse 23, he says, It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. That's what they did. But the heavenly things themselves with a better sacrifice than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures or pictures of the true, but into heaven itself. So he says, when you look back and you look at Jesus Christ, you see that Jesus Christ came. He himself being God from heaven itself, he came to be that sacrifice for your sins and mine. The Hebrews who were seeking to know, the Jews who were seeking to know, is Jesus Christ the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Is he the Anointed One, the Christ? When they came to this section, they'd say, ah, oh, yes, the law of Leviticus, ah, oh, yes. Think back to Adam and Eve and the animal that was sacrificed to cover their nakedness. Yes, I can see how the Christ came from heaven itself to die on the cross for me. Christ came to pay for our sins. That's why when you come to verse 28 in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. You and I, every one of us who will put our faith, our trust in Christ, his blood is applied to us spiritually. It's a transaction that takes place with God. He looks down and he looks at us and he sees us as sinners, undone, falling short of the glory of God. But when we receive the price that Christ paid, we, just as that altar in the Old Testament, we, just as Adam and Eve in the garden, we, just as Abel, who brought a sacrifice to God, we, when we accept Christ, are washed clean because of his shed blood. It's a spiritual transaction that God patterned and designed. Not mankind. It's not our design. Actually, if you look around the world at man's religions, when he creates a religion and he reaches for salvation, he tries to make people do all kinds of things to achieve it. But God, when he set the pattern, when he made the design, he said, no, it's not what you do, but it's what he does. He paid the price for your sin, for my sin. I can't buy it. I can't earn it. I can't outweigh my sins with my good works. Jesus paid for it all. So that you and I might be washed clean when we put our faith and trust in him. So the book of Hebrews brings these seeking Jews to this place where they can understand that Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He did die on the cross for their sins. We know that he died on the cross, was put in the tomb. Three days later, he resurrected. 
And that's where we come to the second section of this scripture. Because where is Jesus today? Where is he? The Hebrews want to know. The Jews of the time, they want to know. If Jesus Christ was Messiah, if he really is the Savior, then where is he? Because they wanted a Messiah who would come and, and build a kingdom. Who would overthrow the Roman Empire. Who would reestablish Israel as a world dominant power. That's the Messiah they were looking for. So where is this Christ? Well, let's look because he's going to tell them. He's going to help them to understand. Listen to what verse 24 says. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures or pictures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. So we find, yes, his past appearing is the payment for our sins. But his present appearing is his ministry for us, to us, before the Heavenly Father. It's part of the mystery of the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Three individuals revealed to us in the scriptures, but yet one God. It's a miracle. It's a mystery. It's something hard for us to grasp, but something we look at and we understand and believe. That God himself has revealed himself to us in such a miraculous way that we see him as God the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father. And here he tells us, Jesus Christ today is in heaven ministering for us before the Father. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, they give us the account of our Lord Jesus Christ after the resurrection ascending up to be with the Father. And when he had spoken these things as Jesus was talking to the apostles, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, Two men came and stood beside them in white apparel. So we find the apostles. They're talking. They're having a discourse with the Lord Jesus Christ about all that has transpired. All that took place in Jerusalem. The death, the burial, the resurrection. And all of a sudden, Christ starts to ascend. And it tells us the apostles are watching. They're astounded. As he ascends up into the clouds. And they look and there's two angels standing beside them. Three angels. Behold, no, two angels. Man, I've gone all the way back to the birth of Christ. There were three shepherds. Uh, two, two angels standing there beside the apostles. And we're going to get to them in a minute. Because they have a message for us. But we find that the scriptures teach us that the Lord ascended up into heaven itself. Romans chapter 8 verse 34 says, It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So these Jews who are wondering, well, where is Christ? Where is the anointed one? Where is the Messiah? 
We wanted him to overthrow the Romans. We wanted him to reestablish the kingdom here on earth. And the answer to them was, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. There he intercedes for you and I. There his ministry continues even today as he ministers to us and for us. It's an interesting thing when you look in the Bible. Anytime you see that somebody sits at the right hand, always that's an indicator of privilege and power. In fact, we are warned in the New Testament that when we come to a banquet, do not be so presumptuous as to go take the seat at the right hand of the host, lest they ask you to go sit somewhere else. It'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? I show up to Kathy's house and there's a bunch of people there and I go sit at the right hand there uh, beside her and her husband and she says, Pastor, actually you're down at the other end. <laughs> Here we find that the Bible tells us straight up, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. That trinity link of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. And there it tells us why he, are, why he is there. Why is that revelation given to us? Look again with me at Romans 8.34. It tells us that there he intercedes for us. That's such a powerful word, interceding. That means he's stepping, stepping in there and he's talking to God about the things that we need. He's interceding. In fact, the scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit, remember the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost? The New Testament teaches us that the Holy Spirit prays the prayers that we ourselves cannot utter. The Holy Spirit looks within our hearts and our souls and brings before God the Father those things that we so desperately need. Here it tells us God the Son, he comes to God the Father sitting at his right hand and says, have you seen my servant? Have you seen my, my, my child? We need to do something here. He intercedes for us. It's a powerful image and picture that the Hebrews needed to understand that the living Savior is today ministering for you and I. In fact, when you go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. So in other words, there in heaven, Jesus Christ, every bit as much God as God the Father and and God the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is our advocate, meaning he's on our side. So even though, because here he's talking about sin, he says, I'm writing to you that you would not sin, but if you do sin. And the New Testament says that if we say we don't sin, we're calling God a liar. Because we struggle in this world. We struggle in this life. We struggle in the battle of this flesh and this humanity. God says, when you do sin, I want you to understand you have an advocate in heaven. 
Because our Lord Jesus Christ, yes, he, in the past, he died on the cross. He shed his blood for you and for me, as prophesied in the Old Testament, as pictured all the way back to Adam and Eve. Every Hebrew needed to understand. He says, yes, he did do that, but today he is ministering for you and I. So when something happens in your life, you have an advocate. You have an advocate in heaven itself, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is that individual who steps in there and intercedes for us. And he is right there, co-equal with God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. One God manifesting himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You can't get any more link than that. So when things happen to you in your life, you know Jesus is there for you. I want you to look also with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 35. I read to you Romans chapter 8, verse 34. But I want you to hear what he continues to say as you come down. I read to you, it is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. But look what he continues on to say. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He says, what in your life would make you abandon Christ, who is your mediator? Who's making intercession for you? Who sits at the right hand of the Father? What could possibly transpire that would separate you from the love of Christ? Would it be tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sore? He says in verse 36, as it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He's talking to believers in a time of persecution. When Christians were being arrested, they were being taken to Colosseums. They were being horrifically abused, even executed. He says, that's happening in our life and at, the, at, their, at their time. Verse 37, he says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, through him that loved us. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of our God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, our God who sits at the right hand of the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh who died for your sins in the past is presently ministering to us and for us in heaven. And nothing can separate us from his love. You and I, whatever it is we face in this life, we must continue to hang on to him and embrace his love for us. But I told you we're going to look at three things here in Hebrews chapter 9. Not only his past appearing on the cross, not only his present appearing in heaven at the right hand of the Father, but this text also talks about his future appearing. 
when I read to you verse 28 about Christ being offered to bear the sins for many, look at the second half of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Because he gives us the rest of the story. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins for many. And unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So he has talked to these Jewish seekers, these Hebrews who want to know about the Messiah. And he brought them all the way back to the Old Testament pictures of the temple and all that transpired with the sacrifice and shed blood upon the altar. He's brought them all the way to heaven to understand that Christ lives today at the right hand of the Father and ministers to his children. But he says, I want you to understand that you will see him again come. And do you remember when I read you the text in the book of Acts where the apostles were standing and they're just in awe. They're gobstruck. Their jaws have dropped. And they're looking as Christ ascends up into heaven. And all of a sudden, there's two angels standing beside them. Acts chapter 1. Verse 11, it goes on and it says, These two angels said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So these angels say to the apostles, listen, why are you so shocked by this? By the same means of which he is going up to sit at the right hand of the Father, so one day will he come again. And for you and I as Christians, this is our blessed hope, the scriptures teach us. It is the reality that at any time, Jesus Christ could catch us up to be with him forevermore. In fact, look with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm going to read you a few verses down through there that help us to understand the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15, right down through 18. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. He says to you and I, as well as those seeking Jews in the first century, he says to us that Jesus who died on the cross was buried, rose again, and has ascended up and sits at the right hand of the Father even still today. One day he's going to come again. And we are taught here by the Apostle Paul as he pens these words in 1 Thessalonians that we shall see him come and we ourselves shall be caught up to meet him in the air. 
and there shall we ever more be with him. Eternally. In our heavenly home. These are, he said, words of comfort. Now remember the time that these words were being written. These were perilous times. Dangerous times. Persecution riddled times for Christians. And they're saying to those Christians, listen. The comfort is that Jesus could come anytime, any day. Before you're arrested, before you're persecuted, before you're executed, you could be caught up to be with him forevermore. That's our hope. Now, it hasn't happened yet, but at some time, somewhere along the time of human history, Jesus Christ will come down, the trump will sound, and Christians will be caught up to meet with him forevermore. But I want you also to look with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. Because this text in Hebrews is giving us all the way from the Garden of Eden all the way to into eternal future. So look with me at Revelation 19, verse 11. And I saw heaven open. This is John the Beloved. God has opened up heaven so that he can see it. He says, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth make uh, judgment and war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Here we see Jesus Christ coming. And we know as we read the rest of the story throughout Revelation, the great prophets of the Old Testament, that the Messiah, the Savior, the Anointed One, the Christ, he will come and establish his kingdom upon the earth for a thousand years. And here we just got a glimpse of him coming. What's this great army dressed in white he's talking about? It says those are his saints. Those are his children who have been washed clean in his shed blood. Who are robed in white coming with him out of heaven to establish his kingdom. They are you and I. That's us. When I was a kid, down the road from us, there was a family that had horses. And I went to school with one of the boys. We would ride a, the school bus. And when I was a kid, a littler kid, my dad had a horse, a, a pony with a cart. And so he would take us around the neighborhood and we would ride on the cart with the pony. But when we had moved to the old farmhouse I lived in, we never had a horse. But the neighbor, about a mile and a half, maybe a little more, two miles down the road, he had a horse. And he convinced me one day after school to go ahead, because my parents were at work, to, to walk to his house and we were going to ride the family horse. And I thought to myself, what, what is it to ride a horse? What, get on a horse, you ride a horse. So I go down, and I'm not pretty excited about it, actually. 
And I get down there, and of course, lo and behold to me, this is completely a secret. His parents have no idea this is going on. They're at work, too. So both of us, about 10, 11 years old, back in the day when a 10-year or 11-year-old could walk a couple miles and still get in trouble, we, we went ahead and got the horse out, got it saddled up. I climbed up on that horse and lasted about 30 seconds. So I'm not a horse rider. But right here, you and I one day robed in white because Jesus Christ has made us clean. Someday he says we are going to come down with white horses out of heaven, robed in white, there with him. Now I'm thinking probably it's not going to throw me. I'm thinking they're special trained horses for non-riders. <laughs> but think about the amazing events the Bible tells us that are going to take place. In the book of Hebrews is bringing these people to a place where they link the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the eternity all together. And he's saying to them, he's saying, I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice paid by God for the sins of mankind. And that he didn't just die and shed his blood and pay for your sins, but he had conquered death and today he lives at the right hand of the Father, interceding and advocating for us. And one day, he will come again. Whether it be in the rapture when we're caught up to be with him forevermore, or whether it be that we ride with him after that to come and establish his kingdom for a thousand years. Hebrews has given a glimpse into who Jesus is. You this morning, as we have come to worship, as we've come to sing songs, as John led us in song and ministered to us in a solo, and our praise worship team ministered to us in songs about our Lord Jesus Christ, our God. You this morning, I'm hoping that you understand better who he was, who he is, and who he will be in relation to us. Because maybe you're here just like those Jews who are asking the question, is he really the Savior? Maybe today you understand better that yes, he is. Maybe you came thinking, well, where is he? They say he rose again. I've told you where he is and what he's doing. And I hope you better understand that. And you and I that are Christians, that have received Christ, and we have eternal life, I hope you understand that there is a blessed hope. That maybe in our lifetime, we'll be that generation that's caught up to be with him, meet him in the air. But one thing we do know, we will be with him when he comes again and establishes his kingdom. I'd like you to bow your heads with me, if you would, as we come to the end of our service. And as you bow your head this morning, I ask you, have you ever accepted Christ as your Savior? You might say to me, well, I've always believed there's a God. Ah, but that's not enough. The Hebrews believed that there was a God. The Jews believed. 
In fact, the scriptures tell us the devil believes there's a God and he trembles. I'm asking you, has there been a time when you by faith have said, Lord, yes, I know I'm a sinner. I come before you and ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe in you with the sincerity of my heart. Be my savior today. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the precious gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. That blood that was shed for the remission of our sins. Lord, we thank you that he has ascended up and sits at the right hand. And even right now is our advocate interceding for us. And Lord, we do look with a blessed hope to the one day return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you help us, help us to share the good news that all might know. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. I think Brother John has a closing verse for you. I have a song I love to sing since I have been redeemed of my restated Savior King since I have been redeemed since I have been redeemed since I have been redeemed I will glory in his name since I have been redeemed I will glory in my Savior's name. Amen. We're dismissed this morning.